0: Welcome to the Global Council podcast, where we share our latest insights on recent developments in politics and policy in the UK, Europe and worldwide. Hello, my name is Stephen Adams. I'm a senior director at Global Council. Welcome to this uh, Global Council podcast. We're going to spend the next few minutes talking about internet regulation and in particular talking about internet regulation in China and in Russia. And one of the things we want to do in this podcast is to pull back a little bit and compare and contrast what has been a busy year uh, in internet regulation, both in China and in Russia, and to draw some conclusions about how we can track trends in the two markets that look similar, but also ways in which internet regulation, the politics of internet regulation, the political economy of internet regulation in both markets, it should be seen as quite distinctly different, both different in terms of Russia and China themselves, but also different in terms of the way these jurisdictions are making policy in contrast to, say, the European Union. Uh, I'm joined on this podcast by Jens Prestus, who's a senior associate in the GC macro team, and Freddie Michel, who is an associate in the GC Central and Eastern Europe and Russia team. Jens, let's start with you. Um, You spend a lot of time tracking internet regulation in China. Uh, The internet and the regulation of the internet, of course, a big theme in Chinese policymaking for reasons that probably don't need too much elaboration, but bring us up to date with um, where internet regulation is in China at the start of 2021.
1: Thank you, Stephen. Um, so yeah, so it's been, um, uh, it's been an eventful uh, 2020 when it comes to uh, internet regulation uh, and mainly ac- ac- across two themes. Um, so both in terms of data privacy and, and how to deal with uh, misinformation. Um, so there was um, several events over, um, over 2020, specifically on the data privacy front, that, uh, that triggered uh, the Chinese government to, uh, to take action. Uh, and this has uh, a lot to do with uh, the behaviour of the country's large um, uh, tech companies, many of who have, have now uh, developed monopolies uh, in, in, in their industries, whether it's fintech, e-commerce, uh, delivery of, of food services, for instance. Um, and while the the issue has been brewing for, for quite some time, uh, we really saw um, uh, last fall um, during a conference in Shanghai when, when the Alibaba founder, Jack Ma, compared the, the Chinese banking system to, um, to pawn shops, basically, uh, and which led to the, uh, the halt
0: of the Ant Financial IPO. And, and, but just give us just give us a sense of what Jack Ma was getting at there.
1: Yeah, so he so he was basically trying to say that the the Chinese banking system was 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 only focusing on um, on on serving big customers and the wealthy, and it wasn't really it wasn't really serving small and um, SMEs or or individual customers, and that was what Ant Financial and other fintech companies was trying to do. Uh, what happened then, obviously, was that he uh, impurated the the Chinese government by making these statements, uh, and that prompted a cascade of of actions in terms of dealing with the, the amount of power all these fintech companies and e-commerce platforms have, um, um, mainly due to all the, the customer data they, uh, they process and control, which was something the government probably was feeling that uh, was data they should uh, they should be in control of. Uh, and that ultimately then led to the, as I said, the, the halt of the anti-financial IPO. Jack Ma went underground for over three months, reappeared talking to teacher uh, in, in Zhejiang province, uh, and now, lately, was left off uh, and, uh, and a list of influential entrepreneurs, which lauded other uh, founders of Xiaomi, the, the mobile phone producer, for instance. Um, um, and 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 so that in the end um, led to the uh, the regulator to um, to to initiate plans for an update and and a new new law, which is called the Personal Information Protection Law, which is basically. Much in line with uh, the European uh, GDPR, which seeks to to protect uh, customer data uh, and, and and data privacy, um, and that um, the consultations for that ended in in, in November uh, last year, uh, and we're now waiting for that to, to come into law. And, that, and that's probably going to be a, a pretty big thing uh, uh, when that happens and have a have a big impact on, on on companies that operate in China.
0: But you, I mean, as you say, there's a parallel here. With the GDPR, but presumably in China, we're talking about a framework that's going to have some fairly serious backdoors in it in terms of the state's access to customer data, which GDPR obviously doesn't.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, um, so, so as I said, that's part of the part of the issue here, and that the the, uh, the state wants to regulate uh, what data private companies have access to and how they use it. Um, but it still allows uh, there's still a number of unknowns, basically in terms of um, what access uh, the government will, uh, will have to, to this type of data, because this will now be stored and collected. And um, uh, these companies like Alibaba will have to disclose all this information, which they've refused to do before, which has been a big problem, and uh, giving now access to, to this to, to, to the government. Uh, so there's obviously a question of how this data might be used um,
0: in, the, in, in the future. So some obvious parallels there with earlier Chinese cybersecurity regulation. I mean, from a practical point of view, what does this mean for European or US or non-Chinese companies operating in China? So um, um,
1: the the uh, the common misunderstanding on on about this law has been that it, it only um, it only concerns companies that are actually in China or Chinese companies. It does not. Uh, so the, um, the law will be applicable to basically any organization and individual that process personal information, uh, information in China, uh, but also for companies outside of China, uh, because it's applicable to if they provide services for people that are based in China, and then they use that data outside of China, even though they're not actually present uh, physically in the country. Um, um, and if they violate the laws, if, if they, for instance, uh, store data for too long or use that data to discriminate customers uh, on price for instance uh, they could have business licenses withdrawn they could have real issues getting new business licenses if they want to expand uh, they could also get fines up to five percent of of annual turnover so there's some pretty um, um there's some pretty big uh, big fines and 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 things that can happen if you if you uh, if you uh, disobey the law basically so in, in that sense, uh, it's almost stricter than the, than the GDPR.
0: Okay, so stricter than the GDPR in some ways, but as you say, also in many respects, unlike the GDPR, very much an instrument of, um, or highly compatible with a very high level of state uh, mm-hmm. surveillance of internet activity and personal data generated uh, in the digital economy. Freddie, let, let's turn to you. So Jens has kind of sketched out what we've seen in China uh, over the last, or certainly the burst of activity since the, uh, since the, the 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 events around Jack Ma last year, but this obviously goes back now several years. What are we seeing in Russia in the same kinds of areas?
2: So, um, Russia has been uh, focused in the last year or so on on slightly different things to to China. Um, mainly, we're talking foreign digital platforms, um, so places like YouTube, Facebook, Google. Uh, all of which operate in Russia. Um, and the state's main concern has been how to ensure that these companies actually listen to local legislation and comply with um, regulation and, and content requests from, from the regulator and from laws, um, which essentially has been keeping them quite busy as they've been thinking about the penalties that they can put on them um, and, and how they can actually force them to comply, particularly when we think that these are quite large companies Um, with bases outside of Russia. Um, So the debate has sort of moved from fines, which was the original kind of discussion, uh, which were relatively small compared to to companies like Google, um, to bigger things like restricting advertising revenue, uh, fines in proportion to global revenue, um, and possibly even slowing down internet traffic, all of which are currently being debated in the Russian parliament as we speak um of course until they actually come about and can actually exist um there might be a bit of an issue for, for companies to, to see whether there's actually going to be a, a threat from these um
0: and are we whatever. expecting a big piece of flagship legislation from russia this year in this area i mean what will they what would the, the practical vehicle for imposing these changes be
2: originally they were planning to have the sovereign runet project coming online in january this year um Test. just just say just say a
0: little bit about what sovereign runet is.
2: so sovereign runet was originally an idea to isolate russia's internet from the global internet uh which meant that the regulator roskov nazor could essentially monitor and track content um as it was coming through and ensure that what is defined as illegal in russia uh couldn't be accessed from um uh, from outside, um, so any sort of issue that they have could be, could be, could be tracked. Um, it was a huge project, well it is a huge project, um, some said it, it wouldn't really be possible, but the government was certain that it could happen. Um, however, tests that were meant to happen last year were postponed, and uh, there was a, a very small announcement by the Deputy Minister, who said that essentially sovereign it would be postponed until after the pandemic. Um, so this was meant to be the big kind of reveal and the big sort of change in the ball game between the debate between YouTube and Facebook and Google and the Russian government. Um, now that it's gone, there's a sort of waiting game to see if anything else will appear. Um, they said policymakers are clear that they do have something up their sleeve. Um, but until that sort of emerges and um, exists, there isn't much of a of a threat for these foreign companies as yet.
0: But what's your what's your instinctive sense on where the sovereign rune net agenda goes next? I mean, do we actually do you think policymakers in Russia actually feel that this is a feasible project, or is the reality that they've they've accepted in fact that the the horse may have bolted in terms of trying to replicate a more Chinese style Great Wall system? Uh, sort of, um, yeah. Cyber yeah. ring fence. cyber ring fence around it. Um,
2: yeah, I agree. I think I think they believe that the horse has bolted in as much as that these companies are now established in Russia. Um, you know, the idea of, of blocking YouTube or Facebook in Russia is is very, very hard to believe simply because so many people use it, um, that it would be such a controversial thing to do. Um, beside the kind of technical limitations of doing that. Um however the the policymakers really want something because they have these laws they've been uh, motivated to to think about these laws and to think about how they can actually um, almost nationalize the local internet space um, and they're looking at the e u on this one as well you know they're, they're seeing how the e u is pressing companies um, like Facebook to sort of monitor content and make sure that everything is kind of uh, legal um, but they they just don't have a way of doing this. So submarine so as it was meant to be the answer. It probably uh, won't happen in the in the short term. But the motivation to find something isn't going to go away. Um, but what what they can actually do is, is is well remains to be seen.
0: But is the is the question going to be of switching from a focus essentially of an external perimeter around the Russian internet to trying to promote um, alternatives to American internet firms.
2: Both, they're going to try and do an external perimeter because that would basically mean that they can um, leverage uh, a little bit more against global companies, whilst at the same time promoting their own companies. So similar to China in its in its sense on that. Um, places like companies like the Contactia, which um, are local domestic companies um, that adhere to all local laws, um, but. As it stands, they aren't as popular as, as the global companies. Um, mm-hmm. That is something that the government is really pushing, both through tax incentives um, and, and favourable uh, economics for them, to try and get them to a, a level that they are on par with the global
1: companies.
0: Uh, okay, so the, let's, let's turn to the question of misinformation. Jens, you, you flagged in your description of some of the big drivers in the Chinese system at the moment, the the concern about misinformation. Obviously, COVID nineteen has, as it has everywhere, uh, added an element of additional policymaker concern about the role of misinformation on the internet. I mean, where where have we where have we seen Chinese policymaking going in terms of misinformation? And in some ways, I guess, how does the how does the problem of managing misinformation sit in a internet regulatory culture which has a very strong element of general information control? Um, about the internet, not least in terms of the management of government propaganda.
1: Yeah, um, so I mean that's a very that's a very interesting point because um, although you don't have Facebook or um, Instagram or 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 other Western um, uh, social media platforms in China, at least without having to use a VPN, you still have the the domestic ones like Baidu, for instance, or WeChat, and you still have one point three plus billion people that are online and are using this platform. So the spread of misinformation has become a a, a real issue as it's become a real issue everywhere else in the world. Um, And um, obviously the the last year, again, uh, with the pandemic and um, probably more uh, social unrest that it's been over the last few years in in terms of um, the governments uh, dealing with the pandemic has led to to, to a rise in the spread of, of, of misinformation. Which again, uh, like the, the Data Privacy uh, Act, uh, has triggered the government to, to focus much more on this than it did before. Uh, and the Cyberspace Administration, as uh, there for now, uh, in, in early January, it published an, an updated version of the uh, of the regulation on the internet information services, which which hasn't been touched since uh, 2000, when obviously the internet landscape in China was very different from what it is now, um, um, and that is likely again as the data privacy act to like, to be passed quite soon, because obviously the the benefits of, of China is compared to 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 um, to the EU or, or, or the US is that they can obviously pass these laws much quicker um, when they when they see when they see potential threats um, and. Um as you said, natural disasters and, and, and the epidemic is, is something that this law seeks to seeks to deal with. But a another interesting um another interesting point is that it, it looks specifically at, at, at dealing with um uh, information that can be harmful and disrupt uh, financial market order, uh which is interesting because the, the, the Chinese government has listed basically Three, three main themes that it's really looking at to, to dealing with, and that's um, uh, preventing financial instability, dealing with environmental threats, and also obviously reducing poverty, which is continuously uh, focusing on. Um, and as more and more um, Chinese retail investors are investing in, in, in the stock market, uh, the spread of misinformation in, in this respect has become a real issue, uh, in part because it's, it could potentially threaten people's wealth and, and, and the, the livelihoods of, of the average Chinese. Which is investing a lot and uh, and obviously that's that's an issue if suddenly large
0: portions of wealth are being uh, shed away but what's the what's the actual toolkit in this crackdown i mean what is it simply one of suppression um or, or is there a more subtle series of tools at work here and um, so um, um
1: the chinese government is um in addition to having basically an army of of, of people that that Whose day job is to to look at content online and then to take it down um, Chinese companies as well are also required to have a certain amount of their uh, employees um, uh, to sit day in and day out to look at content and about one third of the uh, of the total workforce and in, in each company has to um obviously in um, in in social media or or internet companies they have to that's their job to look at this um so companies are being required to focus much more in taking down spread of misinformation. And the new law will then um, both uh, widen the scope of what is deemed illegal. So obviously we then talk about financial services. Uh, We also talk about uh, the uh, artificial boosting of likes on, on social media platforms or the artificial increasing of the number of transactions for live stream platforms that sell goods online. Um, and it also looks to widen the scope of who can be made liable. So not just the actual person who's conducting the, um, or putting up the, the, the false information, but also people that work with them to take down information or to help them put up information. So third parties can also be held liable here. Uh, and uh, while the, the, actual, um, the actual punishment for these crimes is, 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 is somewhat unknown yet because the law isn't in, hasn't, hasn't passed the opinion process, uh, it certainly widens the scope of of, um, of what's deemed illegal and what is uh, on who can be held liable.
0: And although this superficially resembles the increasing tendency of Western social media companies to police content in some ways, presumably this is a much, much more centrally directed model.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so um so obviously this is coming uh, coming straight from uh, straight from beijing because the spread of misinformation as Be- i mean as anywhere else in the world um or whether it's in the u.s or 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 or, or in europe um uh, the spread of misinformation to 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 a large extent especially in the u.s obviously during the election has been an issue and it's been of national security concern and at the end of the day this is the, it's the same in china it's uh it's concern about uh being able to uh to to stay in power for the for the communist party and, and national security at the end of the day
0: okay so freddy if we take if we stay with the misinformation theme i mean russia of course right or wrong often perceived as a great generator and exporter of internet misinformation but the domestic debate in russia on internet misinformation where is it at um well it's actually a bit more
2: surprisingly uh a bit more with the west than with, with china on this point so um The the Russia policy is essentially that uh, companies are required to moderate their own content. So, for example, if YouTube has a a video that that is deemed illegal, it's a requirement of YouTube to uh, take it down or or to find it, Um, unlike kind of China, what what Yems was talking about a bit earlier. Um, So, it it has a bit more of of a point on that one. The main issue that, that rises is that the definition of misinformation in Russia domestic space is quite different to uh, the definition that a lot of Western companies use. Uh, and this is a debate that's been raging on right now, particularly because of the Navalny protest where the Russian government has been saying that uh, miners have been um, encouraged to come to um, dangerous, well, in their view, dangerous uh, protests uh, through misinformation, through, through content that they shouldn't have been allowed to see um, and, and encouraged to do a legal act and they expect the uh, platforms, uh, particularly TikTok and, and YouTube and Facebook to, to remove this content. And Obviously this puts a difficult position on these companies um, which obviously want to comply with the law but also they don't want to have a negative reaction in the West to being perceived as the, the Russia's sort of um, Russian arm to, to censorship or, or content regulation. Um, so there's a there's a debate going on right now about about how to kind of Read this. And this come back, comes back to the earlier point, which is that um, Russian government and, and, and Russian law enforcement realise they don't really have enough leverage on these foreign companies to, to force them to comply with local legislation. Um, so even if they, they find this information on, on encouraging miners to go and protest, quite hard than them to actually convince these companies to remove all of the content. Normally they can come to some sort of agreement as to how much is, is, is deemed removable, um, but there isn't a kind of you know, 100% removal or there isn't a kind of very quickly, you know, remove it within a day. It's a bit more of a, a negotiation rather than a, a, a direct order. Um, so that that's the sort of point there on them. But with China as well, uh, the debate about misinformation is something that's really important in Russia right now.
0: Although presumably from what you're describing, in fact, one of the things that this process is emphasizing is that the Russian state, whatever its aspirations, this doesn't have the machinery of centralized control that the Chinese state does.
2: Exactly. And in the meantime, they're, they're hooking onto the machinery of the, of the platforms. So they're yeah. saying, you know, you guys have the power and capability and responsibility to monitor the user-generated content. I mean, we're, we're talking things, you know, the, the ban on Donald Trump on Twitter um, and other platforms became a big uh, point in Russia, which essentially that they took the uh, unilateral decision to, to block Twitter account because of content, uh, which implies they are monitoring content. They are responsible for moving it and/or blocking users. So the government's saying, "Look, you guys
0: have the capacity to do this and willingness. You should do it." It's just and, and that people. that has in fact got some obvious parallels in Western North North Atlantic politics as as well. Yeah. Okay. Exit exit question to both of you. Twenty twenty one. The one thing you would watch in internet regulation in the markets that you follow. Jens, China?
1: Um, it will probably be the, um, how, the um, how basically how these, both of these uh, new laws that are coming in on data privacy and misinformation, how they're being implemented and how the government actually ends up using them in practice because obviously that's a big unknown. They look very big and powerful on paper and the Chinese government has obviously made a big point of, of cracking down on, 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 on the fintech companies and uh, on, on Jack Ma um and whether or not it's it, it uses the misinformation uh, law in the in, in, in the same context. Uh you 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 don't have platforms like Reddit on in, in China, but if they were, they would definitely be shut down. You would not see the similar trading frenzies in um in in uh, in China. Um so basically the implementation of these laws will will basically be um uh, the big impact and uh it's something to watch for uh for foreign businesses that
0: that operate uh in China. Pretty internet regulation in Russia 2021, one thing
2: to uh, watch. I might have to borrow Jens's one on this one. So the implementation of uh, leverage, so essentially how or if the Russian government has the ability to uh, order or instruct foreign companies to comply with local legislation. They, they have the laws, uh, they know that they're breaking them, it's just how can they actually convince them to actually comply with those laws? Um, they might have something uh, in the wings waiting. Uh, we might see something similar to LinkedIn being blocked, um, which happened earlier in um, earlier in the decade. Um, but we'll have to wait and see uh, if they have anything uh, waiting.
0: Well, clearly interesting developments in both markets. Some big parallels to the debate in the EU uh, around the GDPR, but clearly some big differences both with the EU but between these two jurisdictions as well. If you your business or your investment is exposed to these trends as always don't hesitate to get in touch uh, thanks to jens thanks to Freddie, and thanks to you for listening for more insights blogs and analysis you can visit our website www.global-council.com and subscribe to our mailing list and you can follow us on twitter at global_council.